0: Hey there! This is Perch. Um, I had the absolute pleasure to chat with Brian Edward Hill about kind of his career, how he found his way into comics, talking about American Carnage, some of the books he's written, how politics and social issues are handled in comics, and and how fans and creators can can come together. And yes, a bit about his new book Fallen Angels coming up as part of the Dawn of X storyline. Um, an absolutely incredible interview. This is a long video. It's like an hour. So I considered breaking this up into bits, but it's just, I don't want to tease you with 10 episodes or something. So uh, bookmark it if you need to, but uh, here is this conversation with uh, Brian Edward Hill. Again, absolutely amazing. Much thanks for him granting the interview and you guys are going to absolutely love this. on with uh, Brian Edward Hill a a creator who's uh, got a lot of attention lately got some amazing books uh, out right now and certainly fan favorite I would say Uh, thank you for taking the time to talk with me today yeah yeah thanks for uh, reaching out this is great well, um, I wanted to kind of go through some of the things you've done and just ask you a little bit about what uh, what you're doing. And then try and, uh, of course, ask you a little bit about the upcoming project, the upcoming. But it is uh, it's certainly I know there's some secrecy around it. So I hopefully don't say anything I should. For sure. For sure. Um, so kind of going into your background, I'm not sure everybody knows you're you're certainly an author. You've written comics, but you've been a screenwriter. You've done uh, Titans, uh, Ashker, Evil Dead, Russian Specialist, more. You're on Zone 414. You're a musician, graphic designer, you've kind of done it all. So I've got to ask, how how did you get to comics? Is this something you always wanted to do or or how did you land here?
1: Well, you know, I was always uh, into comics growing up. You know, they were, um, you know, kind of my most most powerful reading experiences as a kid. But I never really thought I would write comics because there was no pathway. Mm -hmm. You know, there was a, a, you could see a pathway if you wanted to draw them. Um, but for writing, I just didn't know how that would work. So I, I didn't really give it professional time. And the reason why I dabble in so many different things is I went to NYU film school. Uh, originally, I wanted to be a writer-director. That was the whole point. I was going to write and direct my own films. Well, what you learn from NYU, because they're a more independent-minded institution than I would say USC or UCLA is, you, you learn that you have to know things because you may not have the budget to afford experts, right? So, if you wanted to design a poster for your short film, you had to learn some graphic design principles. You know, if you wanted a, a good soundtrack for your movie, you might have to write it yourself. So, you know, you just picked up the skills out of necessity, really. And while I was in New York, I met a bunch of comic book artists. There used to be a Starbucks on Astor Place in oh. uh, New York City, like yes, downtown, absolutely. right? And uh there a bunch of artists would come down. This is back in the day when they would draw on paper and they would have those mobile lighting tables. You know, they'd be like an AC outlet, you plug it in and table clothes, and they could draw on their, you know, their huge felon and all that. So I met a bunch of artists who were there working on pages, and like Chris Dabari was in there, Afua Richardson was there, Nelson Blake was there, Damien Scott was there. Uh that's where I met LaShawn Thomas, you know, so uh, I got into the circle of artists and that opened up comics to me professionally, but it still took a long time before anyone ever hired me to write anything. Uh, I had sold, I think, like three screenplays and had that Dolph Lunger movie get made before I was ever viable in comics. So it's a, it's a weird game. I had another career. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> no. I had another career. Then they were like, oh, you should write comic books. I'm like, okay, I'll find the time.
0: Uh, and that's, uh, that's how I up here. You know, and and going on that, a, a lot of uh, comic writers you see interviews with them, and they say they uh, they want to get into movies or they want to get into shows, and you almost get the impression that comics are kind of a stepping stone to get to that next place. Um, but you've been to that next place, and you're doing comics. Is it uh, why do you think people look at the comics as almost kind of a lesser step? I mean, do you think there's something there? Well. I think part of it is is
1: simply the finances, sure. you know. Like it's, like Hollywood is very lucrative. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when you're you're a low paid Hollywood creator, you're still paid pretty well, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so getting to a living wage happens much faster, uh, I think, in Hollywood if you can find the work, right? right. Um, with with comics, because now everything is about pre existing intellectual property. You know, you don't see a lot of new things being uh, developed for the small or the big screen. So a lot of new uh, movies and television shows—they're coming from comic books. So there is a natural bridge there, but uh, it's—I, you know—I don't know if working in comics is the fastest way to be a screenwriter or uh, a television creator. I think writing good screenplays. And, yeah. you know, c- creating some decent television shows, uh, on paper, at least writing some pilots and getting into that system. That's probably a more efficient way. Uh, um, you know, if one wanted to actually work in the business of screenwriting or, or television writing. Yeah. Um, I, I think, you no, know, just wanted that. to sell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just, it was easier. You know, frankly, Hollywood was easier than comics, um, for me to get started. Uh, that's comics awesome. was incredibly difficult for me to find any footing in. Um and I think that, I think honestly the headwind resistance that I felt from comics made Hollywood just feel much easier to me. <laughs> That's amazing. I, yeah, yeah, like comics I could get to no, but Hollywood I would get to almost. And I'm like, well, I'll take it almost because I can convert that into a yes, but comics it was always a full stop wall. Like, nope, no nope, no room at the end, no nope, carry on. Um so Paul has been knocking. I believe they are cleaning the windows at my apartment, so uh, there might <laughs> be uh, a, an occasional, occasional clang or something. And my little puggle is is valiantly defending our home um, from the usual
0: <laughs> window washers. Well, but, uh, I'm in the middle of a torrential Seattle rainstorm, so we have our <laughs> oh, right, coming on. from both sides. <laughs> um, <laughs> right on. That's just amazing to me. I, I mean, and I think it's it's we're in such an interesting time period right now because you do have these comic book projects moving into movies you have people like Mark Miller who's got to deal with Netflix you see a lot of people taking that route so it does seem like this this connection point but I, I find it fascinating and and you're not the only one there's other people who who've made the run to Hollywood and then come in and it and I've heard that story before That it's just it's easier um, to go that way it is yeah I mean
1: I found it wild. I think I Part of it is Hollywood is very much a business, right? It's when, when, when I say Hollywood, and I think this is important for your listeners to understand, Hollywood is not a single organism, right? With all of the blood cells and, and organs sort of working with each other. Hollywood is a bunch of little fiefdoms. And, uh, you know, you tend to get work w- within a little group of creators and producers and financiers and, You work in that space and then maybe you'll link up with somebody that can take you to like another little piece of them and then you work over there but you know you never really deal with all of Hollywood right with with comics the business model of comics is a little more hidden i think yeah from the creative right i mean in in Hollywood my experience we're always talking about budgets we're always talking about you know you know what what the target market is what the what audience are we looking to, to get? And it doesn't it doesn't you know hamper creativity? But it lets you know in uh, a semi-transparent way why decisions are being made. When it comes to comics, the business models are really hidden from you as, as a creator. You know, as a freelancer, especially. You know, you just don't know what why they think this will sell instead of that, and and how this will work. And you know, it, it takes. Fifteen minutes to explain the distribution model of comics to a layman. Yeah, <laughs> you know,
0: <laughs> it doesn't, it's, doesn't it's, make any sense, right? Yeah, no, it's so true. Think, it, it, yeah, it's true. Oh,
1: I was I was just gonna say, like, I think because of those reasons, uh, in a lot of ways, I think Hollywood is more of a meritocracy than comics is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the obfuscation of just how revenue works and how. Profit works, and and what the the metrics of what is successful and what is not are constantly shifting. It allows for uh, other factors, I think, to be as dominant as one's ability to meet a creative need, meaning like your familiarity to the people that are the gatekeepers. Um, you know, there's a lot of hire my friend, you know, in comics, and I'm not I'm not you know sliding it because it's just kind of the way it works. It's It's very difficult for someone to show up with a piece of material, no matter how good it is, and have that piece of material be the thing that, that moves the, moves the goalposts, you know, or moves the ball down the field, I should say. Um, and Hollywood's a little different. Like if you wrote a great script perch and it was like, it was just what they needed, you know, it was a contained budget, high concept, two star, you know, movie somebody out there might want to go ahead and mess with it simply because of of the the upside that they see you know and and if the story is good and the characters are good oh yeah we said this can work in comics it's just not that really, not that way so it takes more time i think because you have to meet people and network and there's a bit of a um there's a political element to it that sure. is frankly not my nature so <laughs> no, yeah no, no absolutely why I think I think one of the reasons why I had some difficulty, um, you know, getting a foothold in the comics was I'm just terrible at that side of the game and just didn't really play very much. You know, and that meant that I was usually just dealing with people who hadn't met me via email, that sort of thing. I didn't have a lot of face time with decision-makers.
0: Well, you know, and I wonder if, kind of to your earlier comment, the economics play a role here, too, because in the tech industry, which is where I do some consulting on the side when I'm not uh, dealing with comics, there is very much, you, you have big companies that are going to work on demand, similar to what you described with Hollywood. And you have mm-hmm. smaller companies, startups. I mean, it's its all about who you know there by necessity. There's just not enough money to necessarily go out and do a search and do those other things. So it's grab the closest person you know. And so you get sure. these very tight-knit communities. And I wonder if, if comics, there's a little bit of that plays there as well. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, it's, to be honest, I
1: still don't understand the business of comics. Like, why the business is structured the way it is. Um, Because I come out, you know, when I came out of film school, I had a useless degree, but I was interning for Playboy magazine my senior year of NYU. (laughs) And they kept me on and paid me a little bit uh, into my first year out. uh, And then from, I used to work in the public relations and marketing side of it and so from there I was able to do some short stents at Ogilvy and Mather and White and Kennedy I mean I was basically a glorified temp but uh, in New York temping you know can kind of pay the bills because you know the, the hourlies aren't bad and you're learning a lot of stuff um, so you know I came out of traditional business models and then you know thinking about independent film well independent film again it's really just about revenue you know it's about capital that's really all, all the game is like if you have a movie and you have the capital to make the movie, then you're a filmmaker, you know, and then you get the parts associated, uh, with your script that can make your thing viable. Then you can get a, a bank loan. You can get pre-sell, you know, money from foreign territories. There's a clear business model about how one goes about it. Um, but the comic business model, I just never really understood. And, and, and I, I'm a little concerned because I feel like instead of trying to, bring more people into the medium we just keep splitting up the people that we have in the smaller and smaller pieces yeah uh and pitting them against one another you know and and the the books aren't cheap um you know if someone wants to follow if you follow three characters i don't care whether they're big two or they're you know small press whatever if you follow three characters you're spending 20 bucks
0: yeah absolutely you know
1: uh, just to get those, those books you know and and most of the time, there'll be a couple other books that are not necessary to your reading experience, but like would kind of help it out and then I'll, and so suddenly now you have like a sixty dollar a month comic book budget um yeah. which is getting very
0: close to a bill <laughs> <laughs> no it's, exactly it's like it starts you know if you're a if you're an aggressive comic buyer, that's gonna be more than your phone bill it's gonna be more than your power bill yeah and it's it's hard it's increasingly hard to justify, and I think that's also why. And I, I wonder at times, and I've, I'm complaining about it today, you get um, fans who see a piece of comic art that's maybe not up to their standard or they don't like it. And there's, there's more than just, I don't like it, but real kind of visceral outrage. And I, I, on one hand, I'm going, why are people so worked up about this? They shouldn't be. But then you, you go, well, you know, they're paying $120 a month for this stack of comics. It, it's hurting them in their wallet. So they are going to get very emotionally attached to it. Yeah, you know,
1: I'm always cognizant of the fact that people have to spend their money on, on my books, you know, and I try to make sure that as much as I can, that they're interesting experiences and, and kind of worth that cover price. You know, I'm not, I don't feel entitled to having an audience. You know, I don't feel that people uh should read my work and enjoy my work because I have, you know, the right set of thoughts. You know, it's, it's, that's not, how I approach it I, I always looked at especially comics as a as something of a service industry yeah in a way um, yeah, you know like if I'm working on established characters then I'm trying to do the best I can with what I believe the nature of this character in this world is uh, and create an experience that is uh, on par with the experiences that I had growing up that made me love the medium, right um, mm-hmm. but uh, when you put creative aside it's still an expensive proposition you know and um part of the thing that concerns me is it used to be that like disposable capital could get you in the comic books and they were so right. easily accessible you know um, when i was growing up there were more shops um but in addition to the shops there were you know you had books at 7 you had books yeah. at your walgreens or whatever your little drugstore was you know was impulse buy. you go to the grocery store and there'd be a rack, and you could buy some books there. And you could pick up one, and wave it at your mom, and she'd be like, "Fine, put it on the on the shelf," you know. <laughs> yep. And it would be like an extra buck or whatever, you know, you know, one twenty five, what have you. I'm mean, into inflation and all that, but I feel like the impulse buy culture has largely gone away. To yeah. now, it's much more of a boutique kind of business. It's almost like comics has become, you know, Starbucks. Yeah. You know, and and very much. You know, you know it's like it's we're we're three we're ninety 395 for a cup of coffee now mm-hmm. and that's it's, it, that's not helping us i think bring in new people because you need new people to to kind of keep the whole cycle going and it feels more and more that we are just trying to get more money more money out of an aging consumer base um while we're losing young people to either manga or video games or just other ways than consuming narrative, Or uh, because they can get the movies and the television shows and that stuff is being thrown at them in a way it wasn't when I was growing up, they just have little appetite to read the books after
0: they watched Avengers Endgame because they got it already, you know? Yeah, they got a complete story. Uh, it's, it's tough when you're competing, in a sense, you're competing for people's attention and <laughs> time, and you have something like, I mean, Disney Plus is touting you know two thousand pieces of content on day one 6 right. that's a that's a i mean that's a cost just slightly higher than a comic book that's a hard thing to compete against it is it is you know and if you think about like hey
1: Marvel has some trade paperbacks and what are they like seventeen, like, $17. ninety five or something like that like eighteen ninety yeah, uh, five yeah twenty bucks that's a lot if you think about how many hours of entertainment you can get on the switch for twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you no, always is. think about like what you can get on a PlayStation for 60, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, so it's, you know, it's a, it's a thing. Like if you think about, well, I can play Arkham City for 50 plus hours or I can get three Batman traits. Yeah. You know, and then um, these things, this, you know, this, uh, these other mediums didn't exist in the robust way they exist now when I was growing up and reading comics. I mean it was like Pong and Pac-Man and Zaxxon, like that wasn't, <laughs> right. you weren't getting narrative experiences out of Frogger, you know. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, <laughs> but, but now you, you you kind of are, you know, and then I think on top of that you have this weird like bifurcation between what the comic books uh, are experientially versus what the movies are, you know, and the movies they have the bully pulpit of popular culture because they get the $150 million marketing campaign and they get you know they get shouted from the rooftops, we're all aware of it. Well, if a friend of mine sees Wonder Woman, right, and, and really like the movie, and they say, Hey Brian, I like Wonder Woman a lot. You know, I never really thought about Wonder Woman, but I want to read some comics. What should I read? And then I'm like, um Yeah. <laughs> to, to get to get that? um
0: <laughs> it's tough um, and, it, and that's not you know. just that's not to take anything away from the comics or good stories being told but that no no not between at, all. The not two, at all. that connection is not there or it's very hard to make that connection for somebody who came in from that cool. angle and
1: then you can see some some evidence that having something that is uh, that exists and not in, in like not to replace you know what else is there but just having an additive book that is an equivalent type of experience to whatever the mass market media thing is. Can migrate people into the to the hobby, and then they'll read more things, right? Look at um, Injustice Prince. Yep, absolutely. You know, did phenomenally well because you played the game and you thought that was a cool world and story. You went to a comic book store, you bought the comic. Oh, it's the same, right? I understand what's going on here. I, yep. I like this. I, I I you know, and I buy this. And you know what? And since I'm here well, let me go ahead and pick up this Batman. Let me go ahead and pick up this Superman. You know, let me go ahead and do this. And it sort of helps out. So, uh, you know, I, I think there are a number of things that probably could be done to help capitalize on the moment because right now it feels like film to media is having this golden age, uh, but it's not helping comics. Like, yeah, comics aren't speeding up in the downwind. And uh, yes. I feel like there, something needs to be done so that, you know, mom and pop stores that are selling these books can, can really feel, um, you know, a revenue boost whenever, like, you know, Joker comes out, you know, uh, yeah. or, or, you know, a Spider-Man movie comes out or what have you, you know, like that, that should always be like little peaks in, in their revenue acquisition for like the quarter and the year. So we can keep the, the comic book shops in business. Because if we lose the comic book shops, then you're going to be stuck with digital and whatever Disney and AT&T want to give you.
0: <laughs> yeah no, it's, it's, it's so a, bad, it is a lot of danger in what's coming. It's funny, so you mentioned a couple things there. I, I think you know first you, you talked about experience a lot and I, I mean I've read a lot of articles. I have friends, I've worked uh, kind of in that zone for a while and one thing that's true about Disney is the guest experience that they try and create is really immersive, really powerful in their parks But one of the the golden rules for them is never, you know, try and hide the price as much as you can, because if the person, if the consumer, if they start thinking about the price, it wrecks the experience. So we have to, you know, make that world really good so that they never, their mind doesn't go there. They'll spend more money if they don't put those Mm -hmm. two together. With comics, it really does feel like that, you know, price points too high. And like you said, the connection between the things people want to experience isn't there. So your your their minds are in the wrong place and you know nowhere yeah. you know, where you specifically are concerned you came out with a killmonger that was really well mm. received i mean that book sold out uh certainly in my shop and others uh the demand was quite high but one you know the, the only drawback to that was it didn't feel like the publisher did enough to connect it to the black panther and the, the things that were going on but that 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 Book was a great connective tissue to that movie, but you, well, you know fans sure, had to find yeah. out about that for themselves.
1: And, and it's it is sort of like this this kind of persistent issue. And I, and I don't want to besmirch anyone over it. Marvel. You know, I mean, absolutely, and, like, Marvel is not absolutely. a monolith. It's it's a bunch of editors and and people doing the best they can. I or think they by the way massively over. There's I mean. a lot of stuff. there are a lot of titles you know out there and uh there are things that need to get babysitting attention and then things that don't and frankly in the case of killmonger i think it was a matter of that book may have begun as a piece of business um in a boardroom decision and when i you know talked to will dennis the editor over there who i like very much i was like well i don't want this just be a piece of business i want this to be like a Uh, A a really interesting and penetrative uh, kind of thing and he agreed you know Uh, he was like yeah you know it doesn't have to be just like an add-on to you know Black Panther, Black Panther made a billion dollars we need more stuff out there Um, but you know how things are being marketed and and what's going to get the attention and how press is going to work a lot of those things are worked out so far in advance that um, you've you they kind of already made a decision I think like well we're gonna give this this much attention because it needs to get this much attention, because either it's flagship, or, you know, we just have to make sure that this thing works because it sells this other thing, and the other thing, and the other thing. And then you have projects where, like, we hope they do well, we like the creatives involved, you know, we're gonna support it, but it doesn't, it's not really factoring in to our major plans, if it's a hit or if it's not, you know what I mean? and I think it's just about resource management really at that point point. and frankly, it's It's just a widespread issue. I think with every publisher. I mean comics has yes, it is a terrible marketing strategy
0: It's virtually non-existent in the terms that you would judge marketing <laughs> you know, Yeah, right? no, it, it, it's it, it's you're right and I I always struggle with this because I'll say things and people go. Oh, yeah, that's right That's why Marvel's trash or, or what have you and that's that's not my point at all it's it's, it, first of all, it's, it is a hard job. A lot of the editors are, from what I've seen, should be on you know, three or four books or on 20. It's, it's not, you know, these guys are running around. Right. And then there's this other problem, and I, I, it's hard for me to describe this without feeling like I'm throwing somebody under the bus, but you have a publisher, and then you have a distributor, and you have a shop, and you have a consumer, and somewhere in that mm-hmm. chain, it's just not a consistent thread. And if you're a comic shop, If I'm ordering movies or things kind of outside of comics, I'm generally provided with some marketing information, some, maybe some, uh, stock management. I'm given a lot of help. And with comics, it almost feels like we got to get 200 books out the door just quick here. They're in a box. Just here you go. Just next week, there will be more. And it's, and so a lot gets just lost in that transition. I don't, I don't know. Frankly, I, unfortunately, no matter how great anyone is with, that many players in the chain I'm not sure how that would ever succeed.
1: well you know the, the problem with marketing is uh, marketing tends to not give you the instant return on your investment. Sometimes right. it does but not always right So a lot of times what you do in the first quarter, you won't really see a benefit uh, until maybe the fourth quarter right because it takes time for the message to land and people to embrace it and the rest of it and then whenever you're trimming budgets Marketing is usually the place where you take the money from first. Yep. Because you don't feel the wound immediately. And the same thing happens in film as well. I mean, it's not just limited to comics. It's entertainment in general. You know, like, well, we got to produce the thing. Those are inherent costs that we can't, uh, um, you know, can't really fiddle with. We have to distribute the thing. Another set of inherent costs that we yep. can't really fiddle with, but we can find some more money in marketing, you know, and, uh, and that means that, it's difficult to get robust departments developed. Um, and it's difficult to get people, you know, in those positions that, you know, have like the salaries uh, mm-hmm. to justify spending the time and having to do all of these things. Or, you know, I mean, you know, Hollywood and music, they'll hire huge marketing firms, you know, uh, to do their marketing, but uh, comics doesn't really do that. And frankly, neither does pros either. It's just that right. they have a, 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 a kind of a more stabilized model uh, than comics in a lot of ways and their distribution is a little different. Um, they benefit a great deal, um, uh, I think as a, as an industry from digital distribution in a way that comics sort of benefit from it, not quite in the same way. Uh, but, but yeah, so it's, it's yeah, I mean, you know, and so to answer your question about Killmonger, um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing that happens sometimes, um, but the, the good thing is written work, books, they have a, a longer tail, I think, in pop culture than like a, a film does sometimes. If a film gets buried, you know, sometimes things can get lost a little bit in the mix. But, but again, you know, I don't blame any, any company for it. I think it's just part of the issue with the current distribution marketing model we have in place right now.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And, and that's, I think we all look for solutions and we look for where kind of we can help. And I, I know a lot of fans who are frustrated. They, they actually do want to help. They, they don't necessarily know, so know how but they do want to help. And sure, I, think, sure. I think getting kind of educated about where the problems are is a, is a very key first step uh, to, to figure out how to help.
1: Well, and going back to your, your point about Disney, it kind of breaks my heart yeah. when I see fans that are concerned about this stuff, because to me, it's not the job of the fan to fix the business model. You know, <laughs> um, I don't love that, you know, and, and I'll, be, I'll just be totally honest with you. I don't love having to go out and tell people to pre-order the book you know that you've got to pre-order the book you got to pre-order the book and I do that because that's the thing that you have to do but I don't love it because I've never been a fan of putting the responsibility onto the consumer you know I always look for a frictionless experience for the consumer you know and uh, it bothers me a bit that people are brought out of their adventure, action, comedy, romance, experience, mm-hmm. thinking about the fragility of a book before they've even read the book. <laughs>
0: right? No, for like, sure. It's, it's of a hard for right? me. It is. And I, I think it's, it's tough for me to see, um, creators who I like and, and other things saying, please 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 we need you to order this thing four months in advance we can't really tell you much about it because we're sworn to secrecy but trust us you need to order it and uh, by the way if you don't it may get canceled and please don't pirate it's like oh my god don't that's too many things to put in the heads of a reader yeah, I mean don't, don't if that's a bummer you know like as a consumer
1: I I don't want to feel fear or guilt when I think about making a purchase you know I I, I just want I wanna buy something that I think is cool. Um, and it's, that's the biggest difficulty I have, is going out here and asking people to you know, pre-order things and spend money on things before they've even been able to see if, a few pages, know if they're gonna like it or not. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult for me because that's just not how I approach commerce in general. Uh, so I try to be on Twitter, I try to talk a little bit about what I'm doing so people can get a sense of whatever it is without giving away major like spoilers or any of that but I at least try to use social media as a way to give people some expectation of experience so that they're not That's just with the barrage of call to action tweets but instead it's like oh that sounds interesting and he seems like an interesting fella sure you know i want to go ahead and check that out um but i don't know i'm sure publishers would be more satisfied with me if i shilled more but i'm not particularly good at the shilling
0: part I don't know. The writing part, maybe, but the showing blood don't know. No, I mean, you do well because, I mean, I was going to say, in kind of list of notes I had, you know, there are very few authors. It's been an experience I've had where customers come in and said, "Um, what other books is is Hill on? What has he done? How can I reserve what he does? As opposed to a character. And that's unusual. It it happens. There's certain writers that, that generate that kind of reaction, but not many. And you do. And it's, it's the readers are buying into you as much as the story. And I, I mean, I'm not saying it's oh, well, you, year. but it's, yeah, no, it's, it's you generate that kind of relationship with fans. And I think it is because exactly of, of the relationship you're, you're talking about, where you are trying to not just show a book, but actually form that relationship.
1: Well, you know,
0: it, there's nothing
1: worse. I mean, there's plenty of things worse. One of the worst experiences I would have growing up would be like, you you got a book, not even not even a comic, it could be a novel, it could be a, watch the movie, whatever it was, listen to a song. You would enjoy a piece of media a lot. And you decided, hey, I'm gonna learn more about this creator. <laughs> yeah. And then you go to find out more about the creator and they're just terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't wanna You're learn so that. There's awful. <laughs> awful people, they're just mean or angry or bitter or whatever it is, and it's completely breaks the experience uh right. that you were having with it you know and, and then you might be able to listen to it or read it but it will never be the same way so what i decided was i never wanted to do that to anyone reading my book um and i'm a person with you know i have strong opinions we all have strong opinions i i lean very left of center you know uh, i don't even you know i'm not i don't make any bones about that but at the same time i don't try to browbeat people with it Um, And I I try to keep my work away from You know discussing quote-unquote politics and instead discussing more ethical things, you know Uh, And sort of brought it out a little bit like I I don't view my comics as a diary I don't write a comic book because of what I'm upset about that day Um, I I try to write a story that will endure beyond you know the moment the month the year what have you and it's uh, it's important to me that, you know, readers feel invited into the medium, you know, and, and when I was, when I was, you know, really just starting to read comics and like, hang out in stores, comic book shops were an oasis from a lot of conflict. They weren't a place where I'd find it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, it was, you could chill, like you could just go there, you could have a conversation about Green Lantern or something for like two hours and. It was just a fun place to be. You could take a little break from the vicissitudes of, of society. Um, and, uh, you know, now, uh, because everyone is kind of amped up, a lot of it has to do with just the existence of social media. Uh, I think it can compel us to be the most, you know, uh, kind of theatrical version of who we are. Uh, or we it. all need to be your rock star, right? You can't, you can't be a creator unless you're some kind of rock star so i've got to come out here and find the most acerbic thing i can say <laughs> i, I yeah. don't
0: know maybe i'm just too old for that <laughs> <laughs> no I, I think you know there's an arc. it's uh, my way it's funny i think a lot of people who are early adopters to to technology and social media and message boards and all that they seem to have a much better relationship now with um handling Twitter. I mean a lot of people who are on these platforms are struggling with them and it feels like they get right. get that skin hardening or whatever it happens to be to be able to handle it like a like a communications platform rather than uh, like you said to, to go perform like stage.
1: Well you know I will say this though like I keep my DMs open. Um, I have people that follow me from kind of all over the spectrums you know i have far left far right well i don't know how far right they go but you know uh <laughs> yeah. they're pretty conservative i don't think i'm followed by too many far right folks um <laughs> i don't think i am you, either. <laughs> right, you know right yeah i don't want to go that far uh um uh, you know but you know i've got people identifying as atheist christian pagan what have you right <laughs> and uh, i really do believe that the energy you put out is largely the energy you receive now you're always going to have those little moments right those 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 people that are determined to try to get a rise out of someone but once they realize they can't they kind of go away and most of i mean the vast majority of the communication i have is positive i mean i have you know i get the rude tweet every now and then and the rude dm every now and then but by and large uh people are are pretty chill but i always try to make sure i'm de-escalating everything i never try to escalate a conflict you know i never try to jump on something um you know even if i think i'm right uh there's just no point in you know kind of setting setting the thing on fire just because it can get lit um so yeah I guess i look at it a little differently i think but that really just goes back to you kind know, of what you're saying i i want to make sure that you know people who are spending the money on the book you know enjoy the experience they have and uh you know people are happy to disagree with me and it's fine i'll have those conversations but i never want anyone to feel like they're the subject of. They're like they're the target of what <laughs> I'm doing. Um, because that's just not yeah. true. Like if I if I come at you, I come at you from the front. I don't come at you through a book. <laughs>
0: yeah. well, I mean, what a what a I mean, that's called I mean, that's an amazingly long plot there. To get angry about something on Twitter, take it to the book, write it, get it drawn, right. three months later it's published and it's in the store and you're like, Ha ha, I got you And it's like, Wow, that was a Long journey. Yeah. Not, right not my way. Not my way. I'll just <laughs> I'll just you know, I'll I'll say something right to your face. That's how I usually work. it's much better. I um I'm curious kind of in, in some comics, so in the realm of, of experience, when you did American Carnage uh, for, for a moment ago, I, I had heard um I think you I don't recall now where you said it, to maybe it's Twitter, but you talked about immersing yourself and um, yeah. going on right alongs so can you Talk a little bit about that because it's—I it's, was blown away at this, you know, new title. It's coming out. It's—it's it's Vertigo, and the amount of effort you seem to put into that story was um, was amazing. And and I know before it came out, there were a lot of people coming to the shop saying, "Did you realize he's doing all this effort? I, I got to read it now." So I, I'm just curious to hear more about that.
1: Well, you know, sometimes uh, a story requires research, but then sometimes research turns into the story, right? So. In the case of American Carnage, there was, uh, a friend of mine, um, that I knew growing up, uh, who was a poor white kid. We were pretty close. I hadn't seen him for years. and I had gone back to St. Louis and he had become, you know, I guess radicalized for lack of a better word. He was, you know, all right, skinhead, whatever. You know, it's hard to keep up now with two different things. Now the bull cut is the cut, so the skinhead. And he was <laughs> but yeah. the point of it is he had become extreme and, uh, I was saddened, but also kind of fascinated. Uh, and I reached out to his parents because I knew them, and said, "Hey, can I sit down? Um, you know, there's a way I could sit down with the kid and and uh, call him a kid, we're same age, but you know, and just have a conversation. Like, I'm not going to attack. I'm not going to whatever. I just want to have a conversation. So we found a neutral place where we could meet up, and um, you know, uh, he just kind of told me how he got to where he was and what I heard and, and what he. Described to me was the same things I'd heard from kids that had joined the Bloods and the Crips mm-hmm. you know uh, um, You know the same things I heard from anyone who was sort of looking for uh, a place to belong looking for a place to be valued and also who needed to needed to get some sort of Reason they needed to find a scapegoat for what they were enduring. You know, they had to find an enemy, you know and Well, like, oh, these are universal things so from there, I started, uh, researching things with message boards like coming up with like a fake name, you know, like Double Lightning 88, you know. <laughs> <Nice. laughs> Beyond be, be these message boards and, and really just reading, reading, reading until I could find something you know, that was kind of interesting and I would take note of that and then I would participate a little bit. Um, uh, and then the conversation would go. And around the same time, Bill and Roof and the whole Charlottesville thing. Uh, happened Uh, and I was like wow okay now this is really percolating like we are headed to a a a place right now like you know we're um uh, this violence is getting more and more permissible and people are getting more and more tribal and I don't see I don't see where this is going to de-escalate you know uh the the way that I I would like it to um and that's when I I started putting together some of the framework of what American courage would be and then from there I contacted friends I have in law enforcement and, and uh, ACLU friends and said, Hey, is there anyone I can meet who left the movement that I can speak to to get some information? And then I would, you know, have phone conversation with those people. And, and then I would ask those people, Is there anyone I can meet that is inside the movement uh, that would speak to me? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, And, you know, they would suggest some things. I would just do things that way. You know, I never talked to the Aryan Brotherhood because they are not, prone to talk to anybody who is not Aryan Brotherhood, right? Uh,
0: they don't care how polite and articulate you are. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's, I mean, you know, I, I admire your, your depth of research for the comic, but there, there, there are limits. I mean, I don't
1: want you going to that stage. Well, and at this point, I still didn't know if it was going to be a comic or not. I didn't know what it was going to be, right. but I did right. know that my 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 storytelling goal was, I mean, I had this idea about this guy undercover and the whole deal because I always loved undercover words. Like Narc is one of my favorite movies, a Joe Carnahan movie from like two thousand and four, I think yeah. it might be it might be earlier than that. But it's a great though. And um so I had the basic kind of framework, but I but I, I I knew that one, I did not want this to be Brian Hill on a on a, a liberal soapbox just throwing tomatoes. At people, because that's probably the most boring thing that I could write. Uh, what I wanted it to be was a crime story, first and foremost, that explored this world as a subculture, um, almost like in an FX series kind of way. And uh, in order to do that properly, I had to be able to articulate their point of view in a way that was charismatic. You know, they couldn't just be monstrous. I had to kind of make it work on on a human level, which is a very interesting challenge for me as a writer. Um, and so I had the notes for that. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. And that's when Vertigo rang me and and they were like, Hey, would you be interested in the 25th anniversary? Uh, uh, you know, we're kind of doing some books. And I was like, Yeah, I would be, but I'm, I don't have any magical realism though. Uh, you know, like, you know, werewolves are also cocaine dealers and the FBI has fairies after them or something like that. You know, I don't, I love that stuff, but I don't have it. Um, but I'm like, I got this thing that's kind of like an Azzarello sort of crime thing, but I got to warn you, I use all of the words.
0: Good, good. <laughs> so, yeah, They're all in there. That'd so, be a fun call. I would know, love to have that call released as an extra or something. <laughs> oh, man. Perch, I thought they were going to tell me no. Yeah, I was like, I, clearly
1: they're going to tell me no, but I'll let them read it, whatever. And uh, to their credit, they were like, no, this is the only one we to do. It was Jamie Rich over there back when he was over at Vertigo before he moved to the bat office and Jamie was like yeah yeah no we want to do this one um and I was like okay but I don't want to do this forever so I was thinking maybe like you know in in between like 9 and 12 and kind of sell on nine, uh and that's sort of like where that went
0: yeah it, it did well and it feels like I mean it, of the titles that uh that Vertigo put out and some of the books that are, that are uh that have come out there's that one just feels like a very natural book to become to be translated into a screenplay into a show, i mean it it fits on so many levels, a nice noir film that i it, it did very well I, i'm I'd be surprised if it didn't go elsewhere, um, assuming that you know d c and vertigo were were or d c was planning to put it anywhere well, you know i mean there are there are things afoot can't really get into it, but I will
1: say uh you probably haven't seen the last of that story. you know it's excellent i I definitely don't write comics thinking about, oh, this could be a show or a movie. Right. Because uh, I'm not gonna ask someone to pay for my prebiz. You know, I'm not gonna ask a comic book reader to pay for my pitch basically. Right. right. Like I to me that kind of turns readers into evidence. Well see all these people bought it, so yeah. now I can get on to the business
0: model I really care about. And I just think that's horrible to do the comic book and Um, it shows i mean people people see it it's it's not a hidden yeah they do they do
1: i mean you can tell like you know you you get something that's like super high concept but the characters are very thin uh and then and then in the execution there's clearly not a a fluency or desire to demonstrate a fluency in the form of comics there are panels people talking panels there are splash pages move on but the artistry the, the unique ways you can tell a story in a comic book are being embraced. And so I definitely don't want to do that, even though I kind of work in all those different worlds. But I think it's just in my subconscious, the way I think about a story, it probably lends itself to some translation because ultimately I probably think in movie. Um, right. you know, I work hard to do an interesting comic and to make that experience unique to the
0: form, but I probably think well, uh, yeah, I mean, I was going to ask you uh, if there was more to that story and where it was going to go. So I think I got a little bit of a, a scoop there, but um, <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing sure. where that goes. That's exciting. Um, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. Things yeah. may happen. Well, that's that's good to hear. It it, it was funny because it was a there was definitely a political backdrop to the story and, and just kind of in the the depth of the bigger story you're trying to tell, but it never felt as a reader like you were being hit over the head with it. It, it felt natural organic to the story that was being told and um, People say, you know, they there's too many politics in comics or they don't like politics in comics or or how the politics have changed Um, but it seems like more not politics or no politics more just how they're handled and it it just and that we're so polarized as well, of course, so people are on the lookout for it But you you seem to juggle that very well Well, well, you know, it's it's um,
1: I do think that stories can be essays, and I think that stories can address uh, a theme, you know, and dramatize it effectively. But simultaneously, uh, I feel like my job as a writer is to create the world, create the characters, to manage the plot, to write the story. It's not my job to tell an audience how to feel about things, you know, and. and if I if I was going to make a brutal oversimplification, I would say there you could you could separate things into two approaches. You have the Kubrick approach and the Spielberg approach, and there are, are gradations in between, right? And I think the magic of Steven Spielberg is that he he knows exactly what he wants you to feel when he wants you to feel it, and he knows the the grammar and the artistry to create that feeling, and you will have that feeling shared with. Hundreds of people, thousands of people, millions of people who have all seen the same thing, and there's a magic to that for sure, and I respect it. I'm not particularly good at that. What uh, Kubrick uh, would do is just show you things, <laughs> right? <laughs> here's, here's some things, right? Um, and then his work on the on the more extreme end of the scale can be very clinical, you know, that's super objective in a way that can make you feel almost untethered, like you're floating through the vast space of of this narrative. Okay. I'm probably somewhere in the middle, you know. I would I would say Fincher is a kind of in the middle of those things, you know. Um, Denis Villeneuve is in the middle of those things a little bit, but um, I I don't like to be told how to feel about something, especially when it's an an ideology ideology like a, a concept, right? Like, you know, very rarely are you going to change someone's mind because so and so decried so-and-so's movement in a caption and a panel of a comic book. You know, I don't, <laughs> you know, that that's that's not going to, you know, end segregation, right? So what, <laughs> I, I'm, <laughs> what I'm sorry, I'm, it's, it's just,
0: <laughs> it, it, it's so, you're so dead on with this stuff. I mean, it's just, it's funny because it, uh, you know, it, uh, sorry, keep going. I, I'm just, you're, you're totally, you're, you're making great points here. Well, and I
1: look and I understand that you get you get a cathartic uh release from that stuff, and you get people who already agree with you, you know, saying you did a great job, which feels very nice. It feels nice to be told you did a great job. I get that. Good dopamine but, hit. Good dopamine hit, right? Um, but you know, I just I, I've never really found that stuff to be my favorite stuff. I mean, my my favorite works are like Batman Year One, Arkham Asylum, uh the Man of Steel, you know, John Byrne miniseries, yes. um, Co- Cosmic Odyssey, you know, uh, uh, weird stuff like that. Um, so I, I think there there can be a reductive aspect to it, you know, like when I when I see, and I'm not going to name any books and name any characters, so I don't want anyone to feel um, like I'm targeting them. But when I see yeah. like a major superhero. That ostensibly is in a major conflict, having the time to obviously complain about a micro movement on the internet. I yeah. feel like, well, that's reduct- that, that reduces your story in a way. You know, it's like I want the plans, find the Skywalker,
0: and if I find that person on Twitter, like <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, you know, I what? You're so right, and I, I, I've talked a lot about timeliness I mean or, or timelessness I should say rather. These books in five to ten years nobody's gonna understand what people are talking about and it's gonna age in the same way as, as kind of where's the beef as a joke it just it will it will stick out like a sore thumb it will just get it will age worse and worse over time. Um,
1: yeah think, and, that, and that was a real consideration with American Carnage Purge. I mean people ask me all the time like well is this like an anti-Trump thing and I'm like no no! Because I don't, I don't want the book to be relevant because of the current president, right? This book is about things that hopefully will be interesting, you know, for 10 years, 15 years. Like, I would never reduce my work to one individual like that. Um, uh, because then, you know, you're dating, you're dating the work, right? You're like, oh, well, that's not a, you know, that's not an issue anymore.
0: Therefore, all of the work written about it isn't valid. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, depending on as so many comics are trying to to key off Trump and I, I get it. It's it's in people's consciousness and it's it's kind of an easy way to get some attention, but you know, depending on your point of view and what you think's going to happen, that this whole situation's going to either die down a lot in one year or five years and after that, it's it's history. So, here <laughs> you're, you're definitely putting a shelf life sticker on your book.
1: Well, and and in, in in that case specifically, you know, what I try to do is uh, um, not again like like, not go after the surface of things but instead if there's something that you know the pressman or my next door neighbor is doing that I just don't agree with that I think has some ethical issues I'll spend time with a story that should hopefully help people understand the reason why I might have an ethical issue with a certain action even if they're not thinking about the action itself Mm -hmm. Right, like because again like it's not about I need you to read this and then feel this way and then think this way Right. No, what I what I try to do is say, hmm, you know what I think that Violence might not be a way to achieve inner peace Maybe peace through strength Isn't a path I want to follow. Well, let me tell a story about a character that praises violence and, and and turns from reconciliation, you know. And and let me show you what that what that journey might be like, so that uh, you you can get those ideas. But you're also getting it in with the richness of storytelling, and not just me saying you need to think the way I think about this one issue, or you're bad.
0: Yeah, um, and, and I, I always wonder is who's swayed by that. Is is anybody reading a comic going, you know, what I believed in in white supremacy for my entire life, but. <laughs> I read this comic book! Yes, <laughs> Thanks to this issue of Teen Titans, I now know equality is good as like, I, I, you know. It, I have burned my sheets and changed my <laughs> ways. Exactly. Yeah, I'd, um, yeah. I'd be frightened by the person who changed their mind that easily. I mean that, that's... Well, it, it and, and, I, and
1: I tell you, I think, I think in the, in the more macro what we're really seeing is symptomatic of what happens when we live in a culture where we're sold fear all the time yeah absolutely right we're we're constantly told what we need to be afraid of we're constantly told how little power we have how many things want to destroy us how we need to be afraid of all of these things no matter really where on the spectrum we are i mean most like uh fascinating thing about the left versus right thing going on now is every side thinks they're the victim of a massive conspiracy where they're the pawn on the chessboard
0: yeah absolutely
1: and it's like these two realities, right? It's like, like, like you know, where, where everyone thinks they're the victim of like some dark cabal that has all of the power and they don't have any of the power, right? Um, and that just means that it's sinking in, like this fear we're constantly sold. And so I think a lot of what we see in work, whether it be work that's dedicated to, you know, right-leaning politics or work that's dedicated to left-leaning politics, a lot of it is a, if I don't shout out continuously, if I don't make my raison d'etre these things that I believe are critical to my existence, I will be vanquished. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's a it's, it's life struggle. I people. howl. Right. And I get it. Like, I, you know, I have to howl about this all day because the moment I stop, they're going to win because they're always coming to get us. They're going um, to yeah. and, and I think that has a lot to to do with it, because we're kind of all suffering from the same uh, fear uh, uh, you know, culture we have. There's a commerce around it. you know yeah. if, a, if a person is reasonable, measured, they might build an audience, so it'll take them a great deal of time, and they'll have to endure a lot of fence-setting accusations on the way to getting their <laughs> audience together.
0: I wouldn't know but what if you, out,
1: yeah. right, right? But if you, you know, I've been called that many a day. But if you get out here and you're just like, okay, I'm just going to make war, then you're going to have people that hate you, but then you're going to have other people that are like, yes, you're fighting for us. And then, you know, you build a thing quicker. So I think a, a lot of things are symptomatic of larger things. They're not um, independent cause and effect uh things and and in and of themselves you know i think you have to look at them and say okay there's a culture that's that's putting this pressure on all of us and this pressure is getting released in these various ways they can show up in 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 the work sometimes you know
0: that's amazing. You, uh, incredibly well said i i can agree more um i, I want to pick up because i know i've taken you for a long time and i'm hoping to get one more thing from you uh today oh for sure um, so cooking off of so definitely going off the analogy which i love by the way of, of um of spielberg and <laughs> um you're now working with jonathan hickman mm. and uh and working in the stonovacs i understand that the book hasn't come out yet can't talk too much about it um mm. but fallen angels tell me a little bit about kind of what drew you to this book what can you tell me about this book to get people excited about what they're going to get Oh, um, well, you know, I've known Hickman for a long
1: time. You know, he and I, I met him when I had a book called Romulus. It was an image comic book. It was a miniseries. series. was four issues of it through Top Cow with a brilliant artist named Nelson Blake II. Mm-hmm. And uh, I went to the Image Expo. Uh, and Hickman was there with Black Monday Murders, I believe. And I'd never met him before, but, you know, he used to blast and all that. Like, I was very familiar with his work, and I always liked his work. Um, he's kind of like the uh, combination of like the Stanley Kubrick and Terrence Malick of comics in a lot of ways. You know, he's definitely got his own unique voice and artistry, and there's meaning behind a lot of stuff. You know, a lot of times you can sort of peel away at something and you can find anything in anything. But with Hickman, I think there's actually stuff that was intended to be there that you're discovering, and that's great. You know, I mean, that's that's um, it's rare, I think, in popular culture now to have work that's like that and his work is uh, certainly worth you know essays and debate um, and analysis and so uh, I met him there he was very friendly um, and uh, you know I, I took to him immediately and then you know we, we would trade emails every now and then and you know try to find something to work on and you know it would never really happen because of he was busy and I was busy and, and, and the whole deal um, but when I heard he was doing the accident thing he reached out to me and said hey Brian would you like to be you know kind of part of this uh, and at first, I was a little hesitant um mainly because i i you know i didn't really know what my x men thing would really be like like it's um i i like the x men and I've read a lot of it, and uh you know especially some of the jim lee stuff from the nineties uh, kind of reboot thing um yep. you know those were kind of my, my seminal things and love the cartoon and the rest of it, but I felt like so many of the things that I would engage have been engaged already by great writers. And I didn't know what I'd be doing. If I thought, well, you know, I don't want to repeat, uh, other work and, and be lesser than that previous work. But then, uh, Hickman was like, no, 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 we're not, we're not doing those same paradigms anymore. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're going to change some things off. It was like, oh, okay, that's interesting to me now. Um, because now i can see like a space to work in and i was able to read uh uh his house effects stuff um um you know it was it was uh in process but i was able to to get a little bit of it and was very impressed by it um and then we just started talking characters and you know i kind of saw what was going on and i was like well, what's going on with quantum yep and they were like oh well, we hadn't really thought about it and you know and i i always I, if Psylocke was one of those characters. When I read the comics, I was probably projecting more characterization onto her than was actually in the book.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I've done that many times. I understand.
1: Has that ever happened where you're like you have a, you, you, like you realize that it's all in your head, like it's just total head fiction, but you have oh, with yeah. this rich understanding of who they are as a character, you know? Um, and I'm like, well, you know, if Elizabeth Braddock has returned, because i remember hearing about that initially, like the return of Elizabeth Braddock. Um, And I'm like what happens to Quanan because you know, she can't just be like a coat That gets put into the closet. Like that's an interesting character. So um, When that character was available to work with I was like, oh not really interesting Um, So what Fallen Angels really is is it's a story about uh, how warriors deal with the enemy that is peace Ah. You know, it's a story about what purpose does a warrior have in a utopia. And it's also a story about what happens in the vacuum left by the absence of evolution. Uh And it's those big ideas kind of funneled through what I believe is a, is an intimate and very emotional story uh, about Quanon, Psylocke, Revenge. Um, figuring out where she belongs, not only in Krakoa, but also post the experience of not being herself. Yeah. Um, and it's a story about uh, kind of rediscovering your identity, conciling with your history, and and paving the way to the future. Uh, and uh, Laura and and Kid Cable, as he's called, uh, factor into this because these are all characters that have almost a base level of of aggression kind of right. woven through them. They are characters that need war in in some way uh and uh, and readers can expect to to see how they react to this vision of Krakoa and this promise of utopia you know uh, and so the Fallen Angel title Fallen Angel title is yes it's a little wink wink nudge nudge <laughs> at the um Previous series, but I wouldn't look for lobsters uh, in the book. (laughs) It didn't Um, sound like it. (laughs) But it's it's so in addition to being like a hey hey wink wink at that, you know, when you think about fallen angels, you think about Lucifer, Mm -hmm. and when you think about Lucifer, we think about an angel who was not satisfied with the status quo of heaven itself, right? Right. Um, And it's about those that are not satisfied with heaven.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's really (laughs) what that book is about. That's that sounds incredible. Um and I like the dynamic of the pairing because you got three characters who are for lack of a better word, their legacy you know, there was a legacy character and then they took the identity. You had uh Teen Cable, which is is a new iteration of the cable we knew for a long time. You have uh Quanon, who is of course, you know, the this this other version, if you will. Um, and then you have um X twenty three, you have Laura who's who had a brief stint as Wolverine, but they, but all of them have had some kind of I would say struggle of acceptance in some cases by fans who like the character. There's a dynamic there. So you bring them together and with the backdrop that you're describing, that sounds absolutely incredible.
1: Yeah, I like the misfit characters. You know, I like the characters that are a little punk rock, a little hip-hop. Yeah. They play the music a little too loud. You know, it's kind of it's yeah. been my relationship to comics. and 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 I, and I really do appreciate, you know, Marvel and Hickman and really all of the other writers you know, giving me the space to do this kind of story because I do think the book is somewhat unique uh, in terms of the lineup because of the the intimacy of the narrative. Yeah. Uh, and just kind of the, the, the way we're approaching it and, and Simon, the, uh, the artist, is doing some really fantastic visual work and, and, and readers can, you know, see some of my Frank Miller influences. <laughs> in the book you know Electra assassin is one of my favorite works okay uh and i don't go to that level of abstraction that that book goes to but some of that visceral sort of poetic storytelling i think we employ a little bit in this book um and i'm excited to, to for people to, to see it because i think they're going to see a different think they are going to see a different side to how i approach storytelling but there is a continuity i think of intensity and Characterization
0: that sort of permeates all of my work. No, that that sounds great. I mean, this the whole um, Hickman and and his House of X, Powers of X, this lineup. I think uh, people were expecting good things, but there was a little bit, and not to go too deep into it, there's it it caught people a bit by surprise. I mean, I haven't seen an environment like this that that have been created with these comics in a long time, where there is a a very anxious, what's going to happen next week kind of feel, and so the anticipation. I think Hickman just posted something that the you know the orders for the last issue are exceeding the first issue, and that's definitely what you see in the stores. So a, a lot of attention on this, and I'm I'm glad you're part of it. I'm, I was really excited when you were announced. Oh
1: well, yeah. I mean, it really is a moment for comics. You know, uh, um, it's and I can understand it because, to be frank, I was a person that would occasionally want to buy an X Men comic and not know what to buy or. How to get started, or you know, it just—it felt like the continuity was so deep that I was absolutely lost. So to have this broadsword event come in and tell people you can start here, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can start here, and we're going to do, and and you're not you're not going to miss anything because we're doing major paradigm shifts, and you know, and and uh I think that's a a, a great way to get people to invest into these characters. Um, uh, again, uh, so I'm glad to see all the excitement there. You know, all the books are are, are, are really funky and cool. You know, like Teeny's book is cool, and uh, Jerry Duggan's Marauders book is cool. You know, we're we're all kind of um, on the album. You know, with, with, in a different way. You know, uh, but yeah, it's just sort of neat to be a small part of this thing and watch it kind of all unfold. And I've been so grateful to all of the Psylocke fans out there who have been throwing me so much support. <laughs> um, because they, as well, did not want to see Quanon get lost, you know, in the shuffle of things. So, in a lot of ways, this this book is a love letter to them, and maybe Olivia Munn. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
0: I can't, I can't. I thank mean, you, you, know.
1: Know. <laughs> you know, you know, you I know. know. I, I, just say it. <laughs> I'm just saying.
0: There are worse. There are worse letters to write. Don't put it that way. Um, yeah, you know, if a, if a copy winds up in her hands and she likes it, that's uh, that's positive. It's good for it's good for the culture. All right, so we're definitely going to have to have a, a picture of you with Olivia Munn at some point, holding the book uh, in the next few months. So you, you, you oh, for sure. Know. You know, I met
1: her before. She's actually
0: she's like super cool. Like
1: she's <laughs> definitely. I was I was in a lobby once, and I was going into a meeting, and I guess she was meeting with somebody more important than I was meeting, and. Uh, she came in, and I was like, "I think that's Olivia Munn." And, and I'm like, "Okay." I'm just sitting there, I'm like, I don't want to say anything. She's going to be really mean and whatever. And um, I was in front of a magazine that she wanted to look at, and she was like, "Hey, can I kind of look at the magazine?" And I heard her voice I knew it was Olivia Munn, and I was like, "Yeah, you're Olivia Munn, aren't you?" And she's like, <laughs> "Yeah," and I'm like, "Okay." I don't want to be weird, but I was just trying to figure it out, and she like was totally cool. And we had a conversation about like G4 and a bunch of other stuff, um, and comic books. And, you know, she's, she's a nerd. She reads the stuff. Um, so she was totally, totally dope. So I can't say enough good things about you
0: That's awesome. That's awesome to hear. Well, I, I, um, I definitely want to, if you, if you will give me the time again in the future, I want to catch up with you more. Once some issues have come out, I'd love to talk to you more about I'm trying to not go into any specifics. I know that. You know, we have to let this all kind of play out over the next few weeks with, with X-Men. But anxious should see the issue and there's going to be five of them. You've got, uh, you've got one in October, two in November and December. Is that, you know, if that's going to continue, if double shipping is kind of the thing for a while? You know, I, I'm terrible, but I don't know. I, <laughs> it didn't seem like, <laughs> I, I mean, I, I mean, no offense. It didn't seem like Marvel knew either. Like the messaging to the store is very confusing as to how much we're getting
1: yeah I you know they 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 manage that on their end. I just turn the scripts in you know and deal with the writing of it so I, I I should be more affluent in all that stuff, but i'm 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 not fluent in 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 all that uh so as soon as I know, I will tweet it out i will awesome. I will check in and I will relay it to the people because I know we are getting close to go time here, and people got to know when their stuff's going to be out there.
0: yeah, I think we're less than a month away now um. Oh, very excited. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I uh, so you've given me you've given me an hour of your time, which I I really really appreciate. Um, I want to just kind of ask you this kind of at the end, but um, you you do have a loyal fan base. You do have people that come in looking for you that are excited. You you've spent a lot of time in uh, on Twitter talking to fans, and and you've dealt with a lot of kind of good and bad and everything else. What what would you like from the fans? It's an odd question, but what what do you want from the fans? How what do you want from us? How can we help you? Hmm. Well, first, I just
1: want to say that I'm really grateful to everybody that uh reads my work um because I, I i really do appreciate it it's it's surreal to have people you've never met personally that have read your work and they you know they reach out to you on social media and tell you that they enjoyed it and um and tell you what they enjoyed about it so it's it's just a really great thing uh in terms of desire you know i look if you if you read something and you liked it, tell a friend about it yeah uh That's, uh, I think the best thing you can do for any creator is, is, uh, if you, you know, you've experienced something and you thought it was cool, let someone else you know, uh, someone else you know know about it. And then, you know, maybe they'll have the same experience and then you can basically chain it from there. Um, beyond that, just, uh, be patient with me as I move through these stories and, uh, (laughs) realize I can't, I can't do everything in the first issue of Fallen Angels that everyone wants me to do. It might take a little bit you know to get to all those things, but i'm I going, hope so. you know I'm listening <laughs> and and i'm and i'm gonna uh you know give them all the attention uh that they deserve, but yeah, you know just uh yeah if you if you if you like something, tell a friend about it, get more people into the hobby, so the hobby
0: can can be around for a long time to come I love it well um thank you very much brian it was, it was like I said it was a pleasure talking to you um loved hearing all about it if if you have time in the future i'd love to to follow up with you and do some more oh
1: for sure you know as things come out and you want to get that together um no problem at all man i'm around it's a pleasure to talk to you
0: excellent excellent well well thank you very much and i'll i'll go ahead and cut the interview here but um thank you very much